the uh, changes in health care reform. Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so this is a daunting task. Um, and uh, so let's just kind of dig in. So the question is, is Ryan White falling off of a fiscal cliff? So these are the learning objectives. This is all in your hand. And I shortened the talk a little bit. So there's more material on the website uh, if you want to dig in a little bit more, So just to make sure I stayed within time. So here's a couple of questions. The Patient Protection Affordable Care Act will have which of the following impact, in your opinion, on the Ryan White program? No impact, likely reduced ADAP funding, likely cut Part C funding, I likely will eliminate Ryan White altogether. Go ahead and vote. Okay. Next. Which more? If we use next slide. Right. That more of these. Sorry. Go back one. Thank you. Now the the lifetime annual insurance coverage are barred. In other words, what that says is that there's no longer a ceiling where you say you, your coverage has run out. If you're on a private insurance plan. It doesn't matter what's going on. Your plan has to cover the essential benefits, and there is no lifetime ex cap on expenditures. That's where people were getting messed up. If they had a catastrophic illness, and let's say their plan only went to a million dollars, you know, in the two weeks in the ICU before they hit that, they're covered, and then, I'm exaggerating, but you get the point, that lifetime benefits, that no longer can be applied. Now, since insurance industry has known about this for the last two years, they have jacked up their rates dramatically to sort of bank away a lot of money because they actuarially have already predicted what this will cost them. But of course, it's not going to cost them anything. It's costing us. And you'll also notice, unfortunately, that dental care and some other preventative measures are not included as essential benefits. Um, so where does Ryan White come in versus the essential benefits? Here are the Ryan White services. I'm not going to go over those. Everyone in this room knows these pretty well. And the essential benefits as part of the ACA are similar with the exceptions of dental care, oral care, right? And then some of the treatment uh, for uh, substance use and a few other things. What's my take-home point? There still is going to be a large role for Ryan White funding in the future. It's just going to be a little different. We won't need ADAP anymore if everyone's covered because that money paying for medications will come out of Medicaid. There will be a need for maybe some um, coverage of gaps in some of that coverage. If there's an essential medicine that's not covered, there will perhaps be some state-level ADAP money that could be applied to that medication or another. But for the most part, ADAP won't be necessary anymore as we know it. There may still be a need for Part B funding to go to clinics, although that's a meager amount compared to what we're paying for medications. But the whole concept, I guess the take-home point, is that as this gets implemented, it just means Ryan White dollars will be used in a different way. And there'll probably be less Ryan White dollars over time. And to me, that's appropriate. You don't need money to pay for medications if they're being paid for it from another source. Fine. But let's identify the things that we absolutely need to keep people in care, to go back to the cascade, diagnose them, link them to care, retain them in care, get them medicines, and keep them on the medicines with undetectable viral loads. That's those services, whatever it takes to make that happen, be it mental health, substance abuse counseling, 
treatment. That type of thing is what needs to continue and will continue through the Ryan White program. The Ryan White program is not going away. Improve reimbursement for primary care providers. This is the first time I've ever seen anything like this. However, it's not going to be a dramatic increase. It's just, but it is going to, it's nice to see that there's a focus on this. So internists, family medicine, pediatricians, that's pretty much who's in our audience today. Nurse practitioners, PAs, are all eligible for these primary care services. Specialists like HIV specialists also are eligible. So if you're taking care of HIV primary care like almost everybody in this room, you're in the game. Payment will be equal to the provider charge or Medicare rate, whichever is lower. In a state like Alabama that I know better, I don't know what Georgia is, primary care payment through Medicaid is god-awful. So that means the Medicaid payment in the state has got to increase. You've got to see a rise in the amount to pay for primary care. And it also means that private insurance companies have got to be at least up to Medicare rates. I'm not 100% sure about Medicaid coming up, but I think that's what this implies. I'll double check that for you. As far as um, health homes, all of us who work in HIV for the most part, we almost defined health homes. It was first described in 1967 for pediatricians, uh, and that's where the term was first used. But I think the implementation of medical homes really started with Ryan White Care Clinics as far as really uniformly being available in almost every one of our sites. So we're used to that. Um, the people who are eligible to participate in a, in a health home include Medicaid beneficiaries with two or more chronic conditions. That's all of our patients. But HIV is signaled out in particular um, in Oregon and New York, but it will probably be elsewhere. Most of our patients will qual qualify, and we will be uh, uh, supported in that. And then the state develops a reimbursement model. So that's going to be a state-by-state state issue. And these websites are in the slides, and you can access them as you'd like. Allowing free preventative services. Um, that's a state option for their Medicaid. There are some things, obviously, that are going to be excluded. And then the other part of the Affordable Care Act is private insurance exchanges. And this is the concept of the so-called free market system. Let me Let me taken aside and, and talk about how this act came about and what happened in its process. I've heard some uh, friends of mine who hate this act who have said things like, um, I can't believe you're supporting this because it was written in one night by the Democratic coalition and passed the next day. I don't know how you write a bill that's 2,000 pages long in one night. What really happened was that this thing was proposed very early on in the Obama administration. And pushed to Congress, both in the House and the Senate. And there was a lot of bipartisan discussions. Part of that bipartisan discussion included negotiations to get certain senators, in particular Grassley and, and Coburn and some others, on board. The original proposal had this concept of competition between insurance companies that would be selected by the state, say on the order of six, seven, eight of them, a reasonable number that would compete against each other plus a public option. The public option, in my view, was essential because it created a, 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 an escape point that these private insurance or not-for-profit insurance companies could compete with one another, but hanging in the background, kind of anchoring this to some reality, was a notion of a public option so that us as a, as a me as a patient, or as a person, I could choose between any one of the six approved 
Or I could choose, say, state Medicaid, or I could choose um, Medicare, or I could use some sort of public-funded thing, and that would anchor it. In the course of the negotiations, the public option was slashed. And the concept was that it was slashed to gain bipartisan support. And everyone in the room knows that when the bill went before the House and the Senate, there was no bipartisan support at all. This was a totally um, a uh, democratically passed bill, and that's one of the criticisms. But one of the tragedies to me in this bill being passed is that they sacrificed the public option for no benefit in terms of getting bipartisan agreement. So there, in the exchanges, there is no public option. And to me, that's the major flaw of this bill. It needs a public option. It was designed that way, and yet it's not implemented that way. So my take-home point, personally, on all this is that hate or love Obamacare, it's a first step. It's not the answer. And it's going to be modified. It will not be eliminated. It will be modified. And hopefully, where we end up five years from now or so will be something much better than this. But this is what we have now. Um, let's see, next. Not sure what. OK. So let's come to the essential community providers. We are essential community providers. Anybody who's participating in a Ryan White clinic is an essential community provider. So there are people who work doing primary care at federally qualified health centers, Title X uh, family planning clinics, uh, Indian health service providers, and Ryan White providers are specifically designated in the legislation. So we are that. That means that the uh, contract, the plans these in the insurance exchange have to contract it with at least 20% of essential community providers in their area, at least one of each type, and but they can uh, avoid one of each type with justification if there's just not enough providers in their area, et cetera. For those of us where we live, assuming the plan is implemented, um, we will be included as a Ryan White clinic in almost any one of the plans. So if you have an insurance exchange, all those plans have got to have linkages to us. There's not a, there's a, it's going to be hard for them to opt out of contracting with us for provision of services. That's good news because it means all of our patients, regardless of their insurance, assuming our states ultimately come around, uh, will be uh, having plans that participate with us. And at least in our clinic, we've had trouble in the past with United Healthcare, Aetna, et cetera, uh, at different points in time, contracting with UAB. They will have to contract with us as a Ryan White provider. The marketplace exchanges, this is interesting. <clears throat> the states have the option to create their own, which are the blue states, and I don't mean that politically, just on this map blue, or the gold states defaulting to the feds. And it's interesting because the precise states that are the most anti this plan, almost all of them have opted for the feds to do this for them, as opposed to doing it themselves. So the take home point. Only with successful Medicaid expansion and exchange development will we be in a position to dramatically improve health outcomes and meet prevention goals. This, this is a little bit like sequestration. When it was passed, it was thought to be crazy that it would ever go into action. When the Affordable Care Act was passed, it was thought to be crazy that a state would turn down 100% expansion of Medicaid. They didn't think that would ever happen, yet it's happening just like sequestration. Wasn't supposed to happen, but it's happening. So you'll hear at the end what I'm going to implore us all to do to maybe have some impact here. So what about affordability? 
so this is called the Afford Affordability Care Act, right? <clears throat> Through the exchanges, as I've mentioned, it will cover, subsidize, if you will, people who are at 100% of poverty or less and up to 400%. Those less than 100% of poverty, it was assumed that they would be on Medicaid. It's ironic, but what happens is that in our states that have not elected for Medicaid expansion, that's precisely the group of people who will be going without anything. Because if they're 133 to 400, the sliding scale premium will exist and they'll have more access to insurance. But if they're less than 100% of poverty, um, they, do have, they have virtually no um, support through the, um, through the health insurance exchanges because they're assumed to be on Medicaid. And if they're not on Medicaid, then they have nothing. Um, these sliding scale premiums are adjusted for an out-of-pocket maximum. They're sharing. It's a little bit complicated. I don't think it's so important that you memorize all this. Just understand the take-home point that the, the plan assumed that people below the 100% of poverty would be covered, and they're not being covered in those states that we mentioned. And that's going to create a problem, an additional problem for those states and for us taking care of those patients. Read our wild white programs are going to have to stay very active in our states, more so than say Massachusetts or Pennsylvania or Illinois. Important exceptions to the Affordable Care Act, undocumented immigrants, they are not eligible. So I think all of us have undocumented immigrants. Fortunately, the Ryan White Care Plan allows us to provide care for those folks and that will continue. So there's another group of patients who the Ryan White Care Act will still continue to support to almost 100% or to a large degree. Uh, because they're, they're not eligible for non-emergency Medicaid, et cetera. So let's talk about a successful story. And this is also quite a bit ironic. This plan in Massachusetts was implemented in 2001 when Governor Romney was governor. Um, not only has the plan been implemented, it's really, really, really worked well. And so well, in fact, that this is precisely what the Obamacare plan was modeled on. And you talk about this is just dripping with irony. So let me show you the data. <clears throat> so Medi Massachusetts has this health care reform, which they offered expanded Medicaid to pre, so not people not disabled, living with HIV with an income up to 200% of federal poverty in 2001. Sounds a little bit familiar, right? Enacted a private health insurance reform with heavily subsidized insurance plans for those with income up to 300% of the poverty level in 2006. And they protected a strong Medicaid program for already and newly eligible people. And this, this gives you a lot of insight because this is kind of what the Affordable Care Act is. Let's look at some data. So here we go to the cascade, right, in Massachusetts. So newly diagnosed, uh, sorry, total people infected, and those diagnosed, that gap is about the same. But look what the difference starts to happen. Once someone's diagnosed, those linked to medical care in Massachusetts, because of this plan, I would say, is here, and this is the federal level. This is the national data comparison. Those on antiretroviral medicines more than double in Massachusetts versus every other state in the country on average. And those with virally suppressed virus, well over 50% compared to 25%. The thesis here, if you want to subscribe to it, is that one of the reasons the cascade looks so bad across the country is because of lack of funding, insurance, 
getting, creating a barrier for people to access care. Now you're going to say, well, gee, we have Ryan White. The, the money is there. The problem is, I think, inside the patient's head. If they think they don't have, if they know they don't have insurance, that they don't have a way to pay, it inhibits them from going to see providers sometimes. Or it makes them feel badly because they might get stuck with a bill. It's their ignorance of knowing what's available for them. And they're not stupid, they're just not aware of what's there for them. And so it creates barriers that leads to the rather pitiful cascade that we have across the country. When they become aware that they have coverage and there are services available for them, I think this is the outcome. And this is the hope that, uh, that hope and change kind of thing. This is the hope that would happen nationally if we found a way to cover the majority, if not all, of our people in the United States with health insurance of some sort. Look at these outcomes. What I'm showing you here are new infections and mortality. So this is the percent change, this is nationally, the percent change in newly diagnosed or infected people, new infections, went up about 2%. In Massachusetts, over the same period of time, new infections dropped 25%. Not a surprise, because more people undetectable, therefore the public health benefit is there. And as far as overall death rates, went down 44% versus 33% nationally. What about costs? Say, well, gosh, I bet it's costing more. Actually, it's not. In fact, it's costing less. So here are the data from Massachusetts in terms of hospital costs for HIV patients from fiscal year 06 to 09. And you're coming along here. Uh, they implement that new rule in 06 that allows more people on insurance. And the actual inpatient costs, which is where the majority of healthcare costs are generated for anyone, have dropped uh, a significant amount over the course of the time that this was implemented. This is a complicated slide. I'll just refer you to your handout. But what this is addressing is how they repurposed their Ryan White dollars as more people had insurance. And I think the example here is that the ADAP reduced, reduced some barriers to HIV medications. Um, they helped with insurance premiums for those who were above a certain federal poverty level. Uh, and they also provided essential care in dental, vision, and behavioral health. And they provided essential services in case management, transportation, food, and nutrition. I'll take another aside here and just kind of tell you a personal view of where I think Ryan White might go in the next five years. Um, assuming some degree of change in patients' insurability comes around, I think what we should be thinking about in terms of the cascade is learning how to better partner with our community uh, service organizations. And just redefining. Service organizations, in at least our neck of the woods, have talked about they're providing medical social, manage, social work management or uh, case management. I don't think that it's really the role of a community-based organization that is not a medical clinic to do medical case management because they don't have the access to the records. That the clinic can do. Let them do that. But what a community-based organization can do in partnership with a medical clinic is do community service management, community management. What I mean by that is helping diagnose people, linking them to care, helping retain them in care. So if we create nice relationships between our community-based service organizations and our clinics, we can create a wide net of access that we're working hand in hand. A patient doesn't show up for clinic, a clinic visit, we can have community workers from the CBO go to the house or make a phone call or whatever, but use them as a way, provide transportation perhaps to the clinic or back. 
Those are the types of creative things we can do that can begin to address the cascade. And Ryan White dollars can be repurposed for that if it's not already doing that. So California is an is a experience in the opposite direction. They were used as a test case to see how the Affordable Care Act would play out with HIV populations. And even by their own admission, they failed pretty miserably. And the take-home point from their experience is that there were assumptions made of two problems. One, no one was really in charge. And you can see how that could be a problem. And the second problem was that there were assumptions made about people being covered by Ryan White when they weren't. In other words, Ryan White is a payer of last resort. If someone suddenly becomes insured, then Ryan White, by law, can't cover them except for those gap services. So what was assumed was that, oh, we don't have to worry about the HIV patients because they will continue to be covered by ADAP, et cetera. And in fact, they weren't. And so those people who were falling through the cracks a little bit ended up not gaining access to care, not having ways of getting their care paid for. It was, in essence, a mess. And so the take-home point to all of us, as we think about implementation of this as it happens in our state, which it will one day, um, is to have an organized plan in place so that the Ryan White care providers, the Ryan White care implementers, the program directors are all talking with the state Medicaid and Medicare uh, officials so that we have a, a smooth transition uh, of these services rather than um, something chaotic, which is, is going to happen if there's no planning. So in California, they failed to ensure that the health benefits package met the HIV standard of care. That's very important. Failed to integrate HIV care providers in the models of care delivery. They figured they already had it under control. They didn't. And failure to consider the Ryan White program as a payer of last resort, as I already mentioned. So the, if, Ryan, if the Affordable Care Act is fully implemented as written, it's estimated that 30 million new people will be covered by insurance that are not covered currently. It's an estimated 50 million Americans right now do not have health insurance. This will drop that number to 20 million. It's still a problem, but uh, most of those people, a lot of those people will be on Medicaid expansion, 25 million through the additional coverage the marketplace uh, exchanges. So why am I giving this talk? It's not exactly in my usual comfort zone, um, because we all have to become familiar with this. This is not something we're sticking our head in the sand does us any good or our patients any good. This is something we need as both citizens and as leaders in our clinics to understand pretty fully because these changes are happening now pretty urgently. Enrollment begins in 2013 and coverage starts in January of 2014. And so what are we? We're now, now in April. We got to start thinking about this yesterday and understanding what it means for us. Contact your state of office of insurance and identify new plans that will likely be available. Uh, if we're using an exchange, know which plans are there, know how they affect HIV payments. Start to understand that we are an essential care provider and make sure those plans know about that. Um, you need to know your state. Um, get involved there. Uh, every state is going to be a little bit different. I would argue strongly that we should be advocating for our states to not be um, poorly positioned in their decision making for accepting this federal money. It, it, you know, put the politics aside and do the right thing. It, it's crazy not to accept 100% funding for the expanded Medicaid. 
for three reasons. One, it's going to destroy the hospitals that start to lose their disproportionate share and have no other way to pay for the patients who don't have insurance. Two, um, it, will, it will get more people uh, who otherwise are assumed to be in coverage under the Affordable Care Act, that is federal poverty level less than 100, it was assumed they would have Medicaid. If the states don't adopt this, they will not have Medicaid and they will lose and the providers taking care of them will lose. And finally, it's just the right thing to do. It's really hard to understand why someone would, why, why a state official, if they're thinking truly about the people in their state, would elect to turn this down. So state planning and advocacy, as our states do bring this on, I'll say it again, we need to be involved in how they states operationalize it. We need to be advocates for ourselves and our patients to know uh, who, who's in charge, who's doing this, make sure that we're collaborating with them, and understanding, again, the timeline is short, and there's a lot of decisions that have to be made, and uh, a lot more questions and answers that we need to keep moving ahead. Again, uh, what are the, th this is, I'm not going to go through this in great detail, but I'll just hit the, the top three. Uh, full Medicaid expansion with adequate benefits uh, is very important, I think, in all of our states. Second bullet, plans that offer, uh, offered through the exchange meet the HIV prevention, care, and treatment needs. We need to know who those plans are. Since most of our states in this room are adopting the federal plan, I think we could be pretty assured that the HIV patients will be covered pretty well. But we need to uh, absolutely confirm that. And that we also need to assure that the exchanges are well designed and implemented, um, that, they're, uh, that they're active. Um, there's something called wrong door application. Uh, that just means that as, as a patient tries to access it, that there's, there's a way forward. They aren't going to get put in some loop where they can't figure out what they're supposed to do, as happened in the Medicaid part, Medicare Part D implementation. They're talking about paying for these navigators. Um, I think that'll help, but it just seems kind of um, sad to me that our system is so chaotic in general that we need people to help other people navigate. Uh, this sounds wrong, but there are going to be navigators uh, because it is complicated. Um, we need to assure this voice. I think this, again, you can read it off the, off the handout. We need to identify and plan for the gaps in coverage. Each state's going to be different. We need to know where those gaps are going to be, uh, what population they're going to be left out, and that's going to be a state-by-state -state, uh, issue, and uh, identify the plans uh, with their service limitations. I'll say again, we, we need to know what drugs will be covered for each plan and have a backup approach should uh, certain drugs not be covered on a given plan, especially antiretrovirals. You can do prior authorizations, but as many in this audience know, that is not a very uh, fun process or efficient. How will Ryan White integrate into the systems as the payer of last resort? I've alluded to this, but just to say it specifically, areas of mental health, substance use treatment, there will be limits to what these plans will provide, and that's where Ryan White can really come in and fill the gap. Case management, I mentioned it in two ways, Medicare case, sorry, medical case management, what the clinics will do, and then community case management, which I think we best will do with our community organization partners. I've already mentioned dental health, which Ryan White clearly is, is extremely good at helping cover. Uh, 
this is just for your reference of, of what federal poverty levels look like, but just to read the top one out loud, that the federal, federal poverty level is less than 133,000, that's 133%, that's less than $15,000 for a single individual. So let's put that together. Somebody makes less than $15,000 a year, that's about two-thirds of our patients in our clinics. It says a lot. So how to prepare the Ryan White systems. ADAP must be able to wrap around. That's a term you'll hear. Um, premiums and other pocket expenses. There's a lot of creative ways that Ryan White funding has been used. Uh, I've already reviewed the, the story with uh, stressed in tailoring that medical case management to the individual, uh, helping educate them about